Gather Around the Lamp, an Aston Villa podcast. Helps it on to Tyrone Mings and Konza! Ezri Konza strikes gold for Aston Villa! Hello and welcome back to the Gathering in the Lamp podcast brought to you by underagaslitlamp.com. This is season two, episode eight, and we're going to kick it old school today with myself and Mark as Andy's having a little time away this week. Uh, we hope he's having a great time away, but we've definitely got more than a few things to talk about. We're going to cover the 3-0 defeat to Leeds, what we're looking for from Villa against Southampton, and some shocking news about our local rivals West Brom, as well as much more. As always, I'm Regan, you can find me on Twitter at FindFoy, and I'm joined by Mark. What's going on everybody? Mark Jerebi here, but you already knew that. You can find me on Twitter at VillamarkPGH. Really excited to sit down today, kicking it, like Regan said, just a little bit old school. We are missing Andy a little bit, always love you know discussing things with him, but uh, yeah, kicking it old school today, Reg. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, it was, it was kicking a bit old school uh, over... Over last Friday as well, you know, uh, Leeds looking like the dominant side that they used to be. And, and Villa didn't really have the greatest time against Leeds and, and obviously suffered a, a 3-0 loss. Um, this was Aston Villa's first defeat in five Premier League games this season, notably winning each of their four uh, first four games. The opening 15 minutes saw Leeds basically parked within the Villa final third, but, you know, we were able to weather the storm, hash out a few opportunities of our own, were you surprised at all from the opening 15 to 20 minutes of play, or, or is it very much what you expected? I don't know. There, there was a lot of conjecture leading up to this game from people, and I understand excitement's high, and it, it should be. You know, we should all be enjoying the, this time for Aston Villa with how good they can be. Um, a lot of people didn't think that Leeds would actually be able to get to their game, and they showed pretty quickly in this game that they, they were going to get to it. Uh, I knew they were going to be fast. I knew they were going to be tenacious, determined, all the you know positive superlatives that, that people like to put on this Leeds team since they've been promoted and even before that. So it didn't really surprise me to see them kind of, I guess, parked in, in, in our final third for a good 15 to 18, possibly even 20 minutes. Um, you know, they, they were just getting to their game, and that, that's what they do. They're, they're not a bad side. I know a lot of a lot of things said about their game and Bielsa and how he likes to set up his tactics, how meticulous he is, but th- this is it. I mean, they can play this way. It's not always they play this way. They can adjust it depending on who they're playing and things like that, but against Villa, it worked like a, a treat. I mean, did, did you, were you surprised by it? Were you like, oh, man, we're in for a long day at the office here? Um, I think initially I was just surprised to see us not like looking like we were we were comfortable. You know, I think in all of our games, even against Liverpool, when we had like such a significant lack of possession, I feel we had we looked comfortable regardless. And I feel like, you know, for most of the game against Leeds, we just looked like we were almost like teetering on a knife edge, um, and. You know, there was a there was a, a few a few moments where you know things could have changed, things could have happened, and one of those was, um, you know, uh, Leeds Pascal Struik. He picked up an early yellow card against uh, for a tackle on Grealish, and by the twentieth minute, he was subbed off for the highly rated youngster Jamie Shackleton. You know, obviously across social media, this invokes giggles and teasing comments, but it was already he was already cautioned, and and Bielsa definitely saw something that made him nervous. There's a load of players in the Aston Villa midfield: John McGinn, Ross Barkley, Jack Grealish, Trezeguet. That 
are tricky enough to if if you you know if you're slightly late you're going to get booked um and and Bielsa obviously saw this from Stroik so you know for me it was it was it was uh, the right decision but do you think this was more of an embarrassing moment for Leeds or or a bit of a you know a forethought or masterful vision from Bielsa I actually thought it was, it was a really good idea from Bielsa to kind of yank Stroik off. And, um, you know, I, I know a lot, well, not a lot. I know a decent amount about Leeds' academy players, um, only due to the fact that I had a Leeds football manager save not too long ago. But I'm, I'm very aware of Jamie Shackleton, and I've actually been aware of Shackleton for the past number of years. So when I saw that he made the bench, I, I literally thought to myself, like, there's going to be something that happens that Jamie Shackleton's going to come on this pitch, and he's going to have a point to prove being young and being with Leeds and wanting to break through into that team and show what he can do. So as soon as Stroik picked up that yellow card, and then immediately after Stroik gets the yellow, he actually he actually committed another foul literally right after he got the yellow and it, the camera panned to Bielsa and Bielsa just kind of had this different kind of look on his face. He kind of just like tilted his head from right to left a little bit. And you can see the wheels start kind of turning in his head. And I was like, Oh man, he's about to yank that guy off and he ended up doing it. So I thought it was a really massive stroke from Bielsa. I don't mind giving other head coaches and other teams a nod of credit whenever they do deserve it for this one. I definitely thought it was a master stroke more than it was something. I mean, I saw loads of people on, on Twitter going, Oh, it's, that, that's so leads to drag a player off that's so embarrassing for him it was like no man I mean the you know there's some things that outweigh individuals and one of them is the team and you have to do what's right for your team you know you just have to you have to find ways to do that so I I thought it was right I thought it was just and to be honest Shackleton came on and he did really really well in this game as well yeah I mean it's it's part of Leeds's identity isn't it the that they play with that kind of holding midfielder it's usually Calvin Phillips who who missed that game or missed Friday's game rather through injury um and you know there was there was talk of putting uh Mateus Click there um plenty of uh, like players that, that could have played in that position and he opted with with Stroke who I believe is a center half naturally um and and it's obviously important to the way they play. Otherwise, he'd have let the game go on and and risked Stroke getting a, a red card. Yeah, I think so too. And like just like you said about the midfield of Aston Villa, that that's not a that's not a midfield you look lightly at. You know that that's a that's a really decent core of players. I mean, some people are actually saying that Aston Villa might surprisingly out of nowhere created the most impressive and most promising midfield in all the Premier League. Um, I'm not one to argue when people start sending plaudits to you know Aston Villa's way. But with Stroik, you're right, he, he is a, a natural uh, center back, I do believe. Um, so he was playing a little bit out of position. I believe it was only his third or fourth Premier League game. You know, it's a fast midfield. Aston Villa like to play fast. So picking up that that really, really early yellow card, Bielsa had to do something. And, you know, we saw he ended up doing it. And it's just it's just such a shame because, like like I said, I had the thought that Shackleton was going to come on. And I at some point in time, I, I thought it was going to be a lot later. Obviously, I can't foresee a yellow card happening in the game. But I, I'm aware of Jamie Shackleton. I know what he brings, and I know that he can slot right into a lot of places. He's not just supremely, you know, a CDM sitting there. He can play right back. He can play in the center. You can throw him up on the wing. I mean, the kid is very, very highly promised and, and, and talented. So I don't know. It's just it, this. This was to me. This was this was one of those things where I was like, oh man, this. It's it's like I, I wish I didn't have that thought that things were going to go this way. Yeah, and you know, it, it was it, it from. From that substitution happening, it was very much, you know, in Villa's control for, for for a while. There was a lot of, you know, possession for us. There was a lot of, 
attacking intent from us. And, and Jack Grealish thought that he'd put us ahead in the 26th minute. You know, uh, Luke Ayling made a mistake and Ollie Watkins managed to capitalise on it before playing the ball across the goal mouth. Grealish obviously then fouled towards goal, but Ayling was able to recover and position himself well to clear the, the captain's shot off the line. Um, and, you know, the, this specific chance could have changed the entire landscape of the game. That goal goes in, and I don't think Leeds win the game 3-0 at all. You know, I'm not saying that Leeds wouldn't win if that goal went in, but, you know, I think it's a very different game if we go up first. Um, you know, I, I saw a few people on social media saying that Grealish needed to do better here, um, but I, I think it's it's more credit to Ailing. You know, he, he made the mistake, but he positioned himself perfectly to, to block which was what what was a a very strong shot from Grealish, um, and it, it just you know it's another one of those things that burns a little bit harder because I can't stand Luke Ailing, and it's nothing to do with him as a person or a player. I, he's just got one of those smiles, that kind of sneering smiles that he knows he's he's done something good, and it's usually against your team. Nah, I'm I'm right there with you on the on the Luke Ailing opinion. I mean, there's just something about him. I just don't like him. I don't know. I mean, it's 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 nothing personal. I just I don't I don't like how he is on the pitch. And you know, I've seen him, you know, pull some dark arts out in his time, and I've seen him do some things that aren't exactly exemplary of a professional footballer on the pitch. And you know, but that's that's the way that some people play. And you know, they they Leeds definitely still has the air of dirty Leeds every once in a while. Um, you know, but but as far as this, as far as Grealish, you know, having that chance and Ailing. Being there for a goal line clearance, that is massive. And that, you know, that's, we're not going to turn this into to a Leeds podcast by any means, but you have to give credit where credit's due. They did perform really, really well in this game against Villa, especially with what Villa's flying towards. But yeah, wonderful uh, shot off the line. I, I mean, I don't know what more people want from Grealish in this instance. If you watch it back, I mean, he's just trying to get the thing in the back of the net. It's just a shame that it, it hits Ailing pretty much right in the chest. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the game would go on to, to be, uh, you know, nil nil at the, at, at at the end of the first half and it, it resembled a day at Wimbledon more so than on, on the pitch at Villa Park you know it was back back and forth back and forth and it was definitely entertaining but you know a lot of Villa fans were clamouring for goals and I'm sure Leeds fans were as well do, do you feel that from you know the first half especially Villa could match most teams who also like to play a similar kind of quick counter-attacking style of football or would you you rather see Villa be a little bit more patient and methodical in their offensive approach I think for this specific game it's it's difficult to match the fitness levels of Leeds United um, I think Villa need to find a way to kind of be a mixture of both whenever it suits them more um, I know that, that kind of sounds like a spaghetti's worth of words but honestly like you're gonna have to figure out when you can counter-attack quickly against teams that don't like it and you're going to have to figure out how to kind of slow it down a little bit and be a little bit more methodical in your approach against teams that are kind of frantic and all over the place and don't mind getting into that you know tennis match back and forth back and forth kind of thing um so i think i think villa definitely need to find a way to be able to just adjust their mindset a little bit when they feel this happening because i I do think if villa tried to slow the game down just a little bit against leeds which is kind of hard because they're pressing high and that you know they're like I said, they're really, really fast and they're in your face. Um, but if they find a way to slow that game and kind of like just gain a little bit more possession and just slow things down, take, you know, think a little bit more, kind of not mess around on the ball as much as just like, you know, try to try to just move it around, get some players to shift out of position a little bit. I think that would have suited them a lot better against Leeds. It's just my opinion. But I mean, it we're, we're now at a point in the Premier League, and I really feel this way. I was talking to a couple of people uh, last week about this. 
I think we're now at a fact that Premier League where like you can't just have a plan A. Like it's just not, hey, this is what we do. We're going to do it. And we're not going to stop it. We're just going to drill it, you know, home over and over again. You know, keep hitting hitting the nail on the head over and over. Drive this thing through. I do think you need a plan B and t- sometimes even a plan C. Um, and it's not to say that Dean Smith and his coaching staff doesn't have that at Aston Villa. It's just we didn't really see that against Leeds. We just kept trying to do the same things and it didn't work out. And it's hard to do against a team as physical as that team. Yeah, I, I agree, and I, I spoke to Andy about this on the last podcast. Is that well, my, my one criticism of Dean Smith is his almost reluctance to make a sub, and I think you know subs can change games. Um, he obviously made a sub in the sixty-sixth uh, minute, bringing off Trezeguet, um, but it's sometimes not enough to just make one change. You know, if you're if you, you know, I'm speaking ahead of myself here because there's plenty that happened between Trez before Trezeguet was taken off, but you know, if you're going to make one sub or two sub, you have three subs for a reason. Like, you know, don't leave a sub until the 88th minute. If you're losing at half time, you know, perhaps make a change at half time. It, it, it's something that Dean Smith does, and it grates on me a little bit, but. <laughs> It almost seems like you're right, you know, that that there is only a plan A. And plan A has evolved a lot over the space of last season and the start of this season. But sometimes it's not enough to just have one plan. No, you're right. And I'm not talking about something radical. I'm not talking about all of a sudden we shift Dougie Louise back into in, in between Tyron Mings and Ezra Kansa and you have a, a back five or, you know, wing backs. I'm not talking about any of that kind of crazies. I'm just talking about a methodical approach to the game, just a tactical approach to the game where you can be like, okay, listen, we're obviously not going to make inroads from the wingers. Jack's being phased out one way or another. We'll talk about that in a little while here on the podcast. But it, it just, you have to figure out. When, when you see things happening, you can't just keep trying to drive it home. There has to be a secondary plan, and it, sometimes there has to be a third plan as well. Um, and against Leeds, there's definitely things they could have done. And again, like just using the one sub, I'm not really happy with that either. That's also been something that, that has kind of weighed on me with Dean Smith. And this isn't me critiquing. I'm saying that like the man should lose his job for anything like that before anyone gets too crazy and out of control. I just we're, – we're, be, we're becoming so familiar with Dean Smith as supporters now that we're starting to realize the small – details that make a big difference if, if he would just kind of change a little bit and I'm not trying to tell the man how to do his job nothing like that it's just from a it's purely from a supporter's point of view that likes to break down games likes to look at statistics you have to find a way to win games and be competitive in games when Jack Grealish is not there even if he's on the pitch you just have to find a way to do that it's just my opinion though yeah, and another thing about the subs as well is that they're often very like for like. We saw the the age old, you know, substitution of last season, which was around the seventieth minute. You'd see Trezeguet replacing El Ghazi or vice versa, um, and it's the same this season. You know, it's Traore replacing Trezeguet, or um, you know, it's. <laughs> Why not? Why not try something different? If the four three three is not working, replace Trezeguet with Keane and Davis. Replace Barkley with Keane and Davis. Replace Douglas Louise with Hurahane. You know, it's it's it. Substitutions are a way to change the game, not just create a like for like kind of option off the bench. And that's the that's the big downfall I feel at the, at the moment. And you know this this seems like I'm being like overly negative. I'm not. We we've won our four of our opening five games, but it's almost constructive criticism. And I know he's not going to be listening to this podcast, but 
at the same time, it, it, it's constructive criticism that needs to be needs to be addressed. I think moving forward. No, I think you're completely right. I don't think there's anything wrong wrong with you know people sitting down and having the conversation of hey, I wish wish we just did this a little bit different, or I wish you would have brought this substitute on the game, or you know maybe if he thinks about this, or I would like to see him do this in the future. You know that, that's all that's all healthy criticism. That's that has nothing to do with being negative. Obviously, I mean me me and you have have talked you know pretty much every day since the Premier League started this season, and I, I I'm I'm happier than hell about how things are going. Even with this defeat, the Leeds, I I you know I wrote about it on on the under gaslightlamp.com website that this this is a lesson here. This isn't time to you know take this as a kick in the chest and be like oh my god this is terrible we lost the Leeds and then get down on yourself and wallow like that. It's not time for that. Like the, the time right now is for this to be a lesson and and do it in terms of how football's played, the tactics of it. I'll sit down there watch watch some film figure out what's going on, maybe make a little bit of adjustments. And, you know, every, everything at Aston Villa right now is growing, and I don't think Dean Smith is immune to that. I think everyone's just growing in a, in a proper direction, and I'm, I'm excited for it. This, this game's not going to get me down about the progression that Aston Villa are making. Absolutely not. Moving into the second half, uh, Jack Grealish very nearly produced an exceptional solo goal that saw him run from the edge of his own box until he found himself in Leeds' box. Uh, he was forced out to the right-hand side before Melier saved well at his near post, and it, it was another massive chance for Villa and Grealish, then, and they were walking away with nothing to show for it. You know, Looking back on this specific piece of play, Grealish had the chance to scoot the ball over to Riley Watkins, who was onside for a tap-in. Um, and, you know, some would argue that Grealish needs to get the ball away quicker. It seems that Grealish can't win between supporters who critique his decision-making when it comes to shooting or passing, but then they can't get enough of him when he's actually burying or or actually assisting. Yeah, I... I'll tell you what, man, in terms of Jackie Grealish, you can't please all the people all the time. And there's going to be people that think he should have shot when he passes. There's going to be people that think he should have passed when he shoots. It's, it's, a, it's a slippery slope, but, you know, I, I said it on Twitter, I think it was like last week. Um, you, you can't tame talent. And when you have that kind of a talent, you, you just let that go. Um, you know, there, there, there's times where you, you didn't think Jack would make a beautiful pass. He's made a beautiful pass. There's times where you think, you know, Jack shoots off his off foot and actually puts it in the back of the net. So, you know, you take with the good with the bad in these situations. For me, I, you know, it's it, it seems like he, he should have been able to, to do it. But, you know, to find the ball and, and, and get in the back of the net, especially after that splitting run, um, it was a beautiful thing to see. And, you know, I, I, I said that I, I never wanted Jack Reels to score a goal more than right then and there. But it didn't happen. But, you know, that's kind of the genius of Jack Grealish. You got to take it where you can. And, you know, sometimes you're going to make the right decisions. Sometimes you're not. But, I mean, he's still our captain. It's still Jackie Grealish. You got, you got to trust him. All I was thinking of when he was making that run was that I was going to get uh, our, uh, our old designer, Dan Hardman, to, to do an animation about it. You know, he did the uh, Sun goal against Burnley last season, which would, would have been a very similar goal. Um, and he, he most recently posted uh, Aubameyang's FA Cup final little chip to lob over uh, I can't even remember who was in goal. It was either Kepper or Willy Caballero. Um, but it, it was, um, you know, I, all I could think was that I was going to get him to animate that, and you know, it was it was going to be great. But uh, unfortunately, it didn't end up in the back of the net. Um, Ezri Consonili picked up a birthday goal in the 53rd minute, beating his man to Barclays corner and forcing Melier into an exceptional save to tip it over the bar. And then that was three separate times that Villa could have taken the lead before 
Leeds United eventually found their offensive offensive footing in this game. You know, I just want before we continue, um, because the the, the counter attack from this corner is resulted into the in the first goal. But I want to just take a step back and and look at Ezri Concer. Do you think he's turning into a player who might find himself in a three-line shirt sooner rather than later? It's almost as if he hasn't really put a foot wrong since Dean Smith moved him back to his natural centre-back position during Project Restart. For me, I'm a really big fan of Ezri Kanta, and as time moves on and as he continues to progress, even in a game like this that Villa ends up losing, I still think that he had a decent game. Um, He's still growing. He's still maturing. He's still getting sharper. I like the way that he reads the game. I like the way that he's not a... It seems like he's not going to be bullied by anybody, and and that means like not being bullied by players that have been in the Premier League a lot longer than he has to play for teams that in recent modern times have been more successful than Villa has. He just he doesn't seem like he takes crap from anybody, and I like that. I like that about Ezri Kansa, and I do think he will find himself in a three-lion shirt at some time. I don't want to say it's going to be too, too in the future but I can see over the next maybe two to four years I mean maybe even two years is a little bit too soon but in the in the coming four seasons I could definitely see Ezra Kansa being called up I, th- I think that as long as he keeps on this path of progression he keeps maturing and like he just you see him back there even when when the ball's nowhere near him his head's on a swivel it's like he's analyzing the game that's a really good sign for a center back of his age in the Premier League I think he's going to go down as one of the most underrated signings that Aston Villa have made in quite some time do you think that he actually has a shout to, to be in contention with the three lines or do you think that it's he might get looked over for maybe some other talent that's going to be budding in the country I think as as a young player to consider he's he's right up there but I think there's a lot of kind of defensive talent um in the three lines setup at the moment you know you've got the likes of of Michael Keane who's doing incredibly well at Everton you've got Harry Maguire you've got Eric Dyer who's played at centre back uh, Carl Walker who's played at centre back for England um so if Southgate's looking to you know stop playing wing backs uh, or full backs at, at centre back then yeah Conte's your man and I think as I said he's at, he's at the top of that list for the kind of young players coming through you know we've seen the likes of Harvey Barnes and and um Saka from Arsenal make debuts recently you know I think concert has to be considered but there are players ahead of him and, and Mings is one of those players yeah I mean I just I I know that there's a lot of promising defenders coming through England um you know I've said on previous podcasts I try not to stick my nose too much into the conversation of that but um like I do know that there are even players in the under 23s and even as far down I think at the under 19s as well that are very promising in the country that that might be getting looked at for the three lines here in the next couple of years but I I wouldn't I not to say that Conson might jumpstart them it, it would depend on how well Aston Villa do here in the next couple of seasons but I don't know man he just quickly coming like becoming one of my favorite Villa players in quite some time and you know I know it's it's not it's not a fashionable job it's a very thankless job as well but I just think that Ezri just pulls it off so well to this point and I just hope this vein of form continues for him I really really do I agree and let's move back to the game now you know that 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 missed chance from Conser um obviously uh resulted in a corner and from that corner Leeds were able to uh to counter-attack and at the end of that counter-attack saw Rodrigo force Emmy Martinez into a palmed save which fell into the path of Patrick Bamford who lashed the ball home into the bottom right corner past the attempted block of Tyrone Mings now there's two things I just want to look at here um I can't remember where the first one happened I don't know whether if it was against Sheffield United or Oh, I can't. I honestly can't remember. But it's the second time that that 
Martinez has faced a, a low shot um, at a weird angle and he's almost palmed it into the path of, of another player, an opposition player. Um, and I think that is the only thing I have, that's the only gripe I have with his game so far. I think he needs to be more aware of, you know, what kind of save to make. Um, he's made some exceptional saves so far and this isn't a criticism of him at all. You know, he has performed in- incredibly so far this season but I think you know if we're going to be conceding those kind of goals the the, the fault has to lay at Martinez first and foremost for you know um, recycling the possession into the path of the opposition and uh, secondly is that there were some shouts of on social media that, that Ming should have been more aware of where Bamford was instead of, you know, being caught ball watching. Do you think there's any truth to that or do you think it was just the end of a kind of good piece of play from Leeds? Um, I agree with you on the Martinez thing and um, it does seem like he's a little awkward when he has to face lower shots, but you're right. That's the only criticism I can possibly even try. And this is me like nitpicking. I've thought about it before we recorded. I'm thinking about it. Like there has to be something I can like be really upset about Martinez and in, in a three nil loss to a team, even early stages. And there isn't, I, I don't, I don't have anything else other than he seems to be a little shaky on his low shots. You can't be giving up big fat, juicy rebounds in this league the opposition's going to pounce on it. I mean, that, that's just what you look for. Um, I'm hoping that's not like a, a reoccurring trend. I don't think it actually will be. So I have nothing as bad to say about Martinez. I think he, he's just going to stay the course. He's going to keep doing his thing. He's a competitor out there. I love his body language before games. That's something else I noticed coming into this game. As the players are walking out, he just seems laser-focused and locked in. I'm pretty sure we've talked about that before. But for the second question about Mings and maybe uh, should he have been more aware of Bamford or instead of ball-watching, things like that, I think it happens really fast. If you break this on slow-mo you know they say everything looks like it's more avoidable or less avoidable whenever it's it's slowed down so it it just takes a split second but for me I would like him to be more aware of basically the sole striker of the team um, when something like this happens so I don't attribute this up to Mings I don't attribute this up to Bamford being in the right place at the right time it is kind of on Emmy Emmy Martinez not to you know lay basically lay out a gift as that shot comes in and he saves it to the lower left-hand side of the goal. So it's a tough one. It's a tough goal to give up, especially, you know, I think when the corner got cleared for, or, you know, from Ezri Kansa, he got his head on it. By the time that it was from Kansa to the back of the net, it took 20 seconds, literally 20 seconds. That That's that's how long it took. So basically Leeds got down the field in a very, very quick fashion, was able to put that ball in the back of the net. That's what people should be more worried about other than could Mings have done this? Could Martinez done this? You know, should Bamford be, you know, protected by the fullback on that side? All those things don't matter. You you have to worry about how they got from literally defending a corner to the ball being in the back of your net in 20 seconds. That can't happen. I'm sorry. For me, that's it's unacceptable. But again, you're facing a team that has a lot of fitness and, and they're very determined in what they do. So for me, I think I think there's other things to worry about other than was Mings ball watching or could he have done something I don't think so I think it just happened so fast he didn't have a choice to think about it and on the subject of, of Mings and Bamford VAR was involved in a check for a penalty against Mings in the uh, 65th minute as he was unfortunately placed in a in, in, a, in an odd altercation with Bamford uh, but the video assistant assistant referee concluded it was neither a foul nor a penalty um you know, let's be honest, Bamford stepped on Mings's foot and decided as if he'd stepped on a World War One era landmine. You know, Mings wasn't having it and, and mostly frustrated, tried to drag Bamford back to his feet, had a few choice words and pushed him away. Um, 
I think you know I, I refer to him in the match report as a as a pantomime villain, Patrick Bamford. Um, but do you think, especially after this game, he's kind of solidified himself as a player that every Villa supporter will love to hate? And I think you know we, we've seen that any player we hate loves to score against us. Yeah, and that's the whole thing. Once you start really having the, the fan base and, and the supporters start really not liking a player, they find a way. They just find a way to score. You just know it's going to happen. We've seen it happen with Jay Rodriguez. We're now starting to see it with Patrick Bamford. I, I just, you know, he's he, he didn't do himself any favors with that wild and crazy game in the championship against Leeds and, you know, basically acting like someone scraped across his eyes with their fingernails or something. And it ended up, obviously, the whole world knew that it, it was a dive and he was he was just, you know, doing whatever he was doing out there, trying to garner some kind of attention. But, you know, for, for this one, with him stepping on Mings' foot and then acting like it was an actual landmine, um, I just, I don't like players like that, man. I, I never have. I mean, it, it's not even, for me, specific to the game of football. It's in all sports. I don't like that kind of thing. Just get up and get on with it. You know, if you if you felt something happened or if you're trying to make a play or trying to get a call and it doesn't work, fine. Just get up and go do what you got to do. I get it. We, we all understand. You try to fight for calls. Sometimes it's not, you know, the most honorable way. But, you know, you try to get the job done. Um, I think that he's going to be hated for a long time, especially after scoring the hat trick and especially after the things that happened a few seasons ago. I just it, it's just crazy. Like he was that hurt. And then the next following minutes and I'll, I'll let you get on to what happened in the next following minutes. Well, yeah. Like, but uh, b- before I do, I just want to, you know, think We've got to play Leeds again this season, and you know, judging by both teams' early form, we're going to be playing them for years to come. Bamford's only what twenty-seven, so he's going to be a player that we're, we're going to have to deal with and and deal with scoring against us for possibly you know the next three years. And you know, we saw it with Jay Rodriguez, we've seen it with Troy Deeney, um, the Ian Nacho even for Leicester and Vardy. You know, there's there's a load of players that just love to score against the Villa. Um, in the following minutes after that kind of altercation, Bamford would score again, producing a sh- strong shot from outside of the box from almost out, almost out of nowhere. It left Martinez rooted to his spot, and let's be honest, it was a pretty decent goal from Bamford. But it just seemed like Villa were too frustrated with themselves and the manner in which Leeds were playing. Um, you know, Bamford went on to complete his hat-trick in the 74th minute, and... It, it was an exceptional goal. None, none of our defenders wanted to touch him. He was like dancing around these these defenders and midfielders that were in the box who were trying not to stick a foot out and concede a penalty. But he was dancing around them almost as if he was like, you know, heading from the bar to, to the stage in a nightclub and just kind of like dancing his way around the masses and masses of people before he kind of opened his body up and, and onto his weak foot and curled it into the top corner. You know, it resigned us to a defeat at, at that point. You could see the heads had dropped. But it, do you think that Leeds' attacking style frustrates teams more than a lot of other clubs in the Premier League? And, and do you think that was what we were seeing when, when you know, Bamford was scoring? Did you see our frustration kind of, of brim over almost? Yeah, I mean, I, I saw it. I saw the body language. The body language was shot for every Villa player on that pitch. Um it's a it's a tough thing to play against an attacking intent team like Leeds were in this specific uh, fixture. Um, you know, it's it's kind of one of those things you see with like fitness gurus and stuff like that. Like, oh, your your hard workout is my warm up. I think that's kind of like the embodiment of Leeds a little bit. I think that like you know you go into the game against Leeds, you're like, okay, we got to work hard today. But like when Leeds just start just start working hard, 
you might be a little bit like, man, these guys are flying around this pitch. I don't, we don't really have an answer for this. What the hell's going on? And I think that they just work and work and work and work, and they just they just run all over the place. They're smart about it. They're not afraid to play one, two touch passes. Um, so yeah, I I don't know, man. I just I just think it was one of those things where Leeds had an idea of what to do. I think that they had a mindset and an attitude of how they were going to do it, and they they executed more than a couple game plans in this game. Uh, to, to almost perfection, uh, in my opinion. And again, I'm not I'm not turning this into a Leeds podcast, but I, I don't know. I just you got to give credit where credits due. But it, you know, it's it's definitely it's it's a learning experience for Villa. This isn't something where I'm going to look back on this in February, March, and go, oh man, if we if only we won that game. Nah, put put this behind you as fast as you can. Get on to the next one. Now you wrote an article about what exactly Leeds and Bielsa did on a on a tactical standpoint to come away from Villa Park with with all three points. Obviously, uh, for those of you listening, you can check out the full article over under agaslitlamp dot com. But we're going to briefly touch on how Mark saw this tactical approach by Leeds. It seemed as though Bielsa wanted to keep the ball on on Leeds' left flank, using Jack Harrison and and Alioski to harass and manipulate Trezeguet and Matty Cash. And this effectively kept the ball in an area of the pitch where Jack Grealish rarely is. We all know that Grealish had an impact on the game, but it, it just wasn't the impact that we're used to. Uh, you know, this is probably why we saw that bursting run by Grealish. It was it was frustration that he wasn't on the ball as much as he would like, and and as much as Villa generally witness. Um, you know, Derby County and Frank Lampard when he was their manager tried to do something similar during the playoff final, and, and that was a game in which Grealish had almost zero impact on, even though Villa found themselves the winner and eventually promoted. Mark, how important is it for Dean Smith and his coaching staff and his players to find a way to get Grealish more involved when a coach deploys a tactic such as this? How would you make Jack more accessible to his teammates when he's being forced out of the game? The obvious answer is to, is to and we've seen it at times, is to switch sides. You know, we've seen Trezeguet and Grealish swap sides on multiple occasions and the more we do that, the more unpredictable we become. Um, but I want to hear from you what what your thoughts are, especially as you wrote the article. Yeah, I don't I don't want to ruin the contents of the article for anybody if you want to go check it out. But my, my opinion was basically they kept the ball on the opposite flank of Jack Grealish and they did it to perfection. Um, they managed to make Matty Cash and Trezeguet look like they've very rarely played a game of football before. Um, it's not a knock on Matty Cash or Trezeguet. Trez is working hard out there. I, I've, I've said on previous podcasts I've been that what, that guy's biggest critic. Biggest, biggest critic, especially last season. Um, I think he's really coming on now. Matty Cash, he's been fantastic for Villa as well. It just, it, it was so constant on that left hand side for most patterns of the game. Yes, they would flip it over to the right, but it seemed like it would always come back in the middle and then right back up that left hand side. Uh, so for me, the, the thing that you just said about they didn't switch the players, they didn't switch Trezeguet and Jack around, they didn't. Um, as far as I could tell, it only happened on two occasions, and it was coming off of a corner, so they were kind of just mixed up, and it didn't last very long, and it only lasted about 18 to 22 seconds. So the, you didn't get a different feel. There wasn't a, a different thing of, okay, now Jack's on the right, we have to like rethink how we're, how we're getting this ball away from him. Um, Bielsa's a very, very good coach. It's not just something that's said in the media. He he. he takes a microscope and these very, very finite details, and he's able to pull something out of it. In this case, he probably thought to himself, which isn't like a genius thing. It's just something that you think about as a head coach going up against a team like Aston Villa, and they have a player like Jack Grealish. Okay, that's identifiably the cog in their machine that makes the rest of the parts move. 
How can I stop that from happening on an offensive level? You you literally edge him out of the game. You get the ball on the other side of the pitch. Now, when Villa were defending and they were pinned in their, in their own third of the pitch, Jack Grealish likes to move from the left-hand side down into the center. And that's an admirable. That's an all-hands-on-deck kind of defensive mindset. That's a really good thing to have. But for me, I'd like to j- see Jack Grealish stay back there with Matty Target on the left. And whenever Villa do retain the possession after being pinned in their own end, he becomes the start of the play, not just someone who's in the counterattack, but someone who's actually starting it. I think that would make a world of a difference for the counterattacking intent at Aston Villa. It just it didn't materialize. It didn't work out. So it's, it's one of those things where a really, really good head coach comes in with Bielsa, and he, he finds a way to just completely phase Jackie Grealish out of the game. Now, Grealish had his chances. We just talked about it. He definitely had his chances. He wasn't completely you know invisible out there, but he, he did not have the ball at his feet as much as we're used to seeing. He didn't have the impact we're used to seeing. It looked very strange, but you know you got to take your hat off to Bielsa. He, he definitely, uh, I don't think he was thinking it was going to be a 3-0 scoreline, but I definitely think he had a plan to keep Jackie Grealish off the ball as much as possible. And obviously to do what Bielsa did, you need to have some kind of quality on that on that left-hand side for Leeds, you know. And Alioski and Harrison provided that. If it was, um, I can't think of an example it's in the Premier League off the top of my head, but let's say it's a championship side trying to do the same thing. You know, they're going to struggle because the quality isn't quite there. And, and Trezeguet and Matty Cash should in most cases, be able to deal with that that overload down the left, and, and then we can work Jack into the game more so. Um, and you know, we, we we've seen um, McGinn, and and he's he's kind of sweeping passes to the left over to Jack. Um, and I think you know the fact that Leeds were so so high and so so quick in their press stopped McGinn doing that so often. You know, it's a, it's another thing that just stopped Jack getting into the game, and you know they they did it they did it very very well. They did, they did really well. And on that left-hand side for Leeds was Jack Harrison, like you just said. But, you know, it, it actually got to a point where you can tell Matt Cash was was upset um, that they were just running at him all game. There was actually a time uh, Jack Harrison got the ball, uh, run straight at Matty Cash. There's kind of a little bit of an entanglement. And Matty Cash, instead of just putting his foot between Harrison's feet to just poke the ball out for a touch, he almost kind of like half slid at the back of him and like, you know, Jack Harrison, you know, stumbles over and he kind of rolls a little bit looking for a call. He didn't end up getting one, but it was almost like the aggravation of Matty Cash being like, man, these guys are just harassing me all day. Like, I can't get away from this guy. And it, like, it came out. And that's when I started thinking like, okay, now, now they, now there's something here on this left-hand side. Cause now Cash is going to be looking at maybe pushing up a little bit further to stop the runs of Jack Harrison, getting the ball from Alioski. Cause what they would do is they, Alioski would have the ball. It would go toward the middle of that CDM when it was strike. And then when it was Shackleton, Shackleton was able to make the forward run strike seem like he was a little tentative to do that. But when Shackleton made the forward run, he would immediately look to his left to, to look for Jack Harrison to know that Jack Harrison was going to bomb ahead. Now, it's not to say that Trezeguet wasn't there defensively, but Trezeguet tries to do so many things at the same time sometimes. He does kind of ha- still have that little bit of headless chicken vibe to him sometimes, not all the time, though. Um, so, yeah, it, it was it was a match made in heaven. It was, it was a masterstroke from Bielsa. And, you know, I'm just hoping that, you know, Villa, at the end of the day, look at this and say, hey, we they trapped us here. This is the part of the pitch where they trapped us in and they locked in what they were looking at. We need to have our heads switched on right to know how to stop this, when to stop it, and when to identify it. And that, for me, that, that's that's really how Leeds United ended up winning the game. And Aston Villa's next match is against Southampton, who are coming away with points, uh, coming to 
coming to face Villa, sorry, with points in each of their last four matches, and they most recently dispatched top of the table Everton by two goals to nil. Of the ten goals that Southampton have scored this season, eight have come from open play, with Danny Ings slotting four goals home so far in the in the somewhat young season. Former Blue Nose Che Adams has been finding his feet in the Premier League with two assists, and he, he's picked up goals as well. And we're all aware of the the scoring threat that Ings has in his in his locker, and with, with, with Che finding his feet as well. How important of a game is this for Aston Villa season? It's rare that there's a, a benchmark game so early in the campaign. Uh, we struggled against Southampton last season, but do you see Villa putting a, a right foot forward against the Saints, or do you think it's going to be a, a, a tough, tough game? I mean, I don't want to over-dramatize this game because it is a game against Southampton, and it is the sixth game of a 38-game season. But I think this game is going to show the character and the wherewithal of Aston Villa, of that starting eleven to take that that loss to Leeds and just learn from it, not get too down on it. And you'll be able to know within the first 20 minutes of this game if Villa are up for this game as a bounce-back game or not. I do think it has a, a little bit of an air of importance. I do think that Villa are going to take this chance, but it's still, it's still one of those things like Danny Ings can pop up anywhere. And it's not a fearful thing. It's just got to be a respect thing. So, you know, I think Mings and Cons are going to be vital in this game and, and they better, they, they better be ready. I think they're going to be ready. They better be ready for, for Danny Ings to start doing some, some silly things. And by what, by silly, I mean, he doesn't always just stand up there. He's not just always looking for a pass. He'll drift all over the pitch. They kind of let him get a free roll sometimes if they think they can get away with it. So you got you got to be have your head on on a swivel basically to know where Ings is at. He'll he'll pop up on different sides of the box sometimes. Um, you know he he loves looking for a cross into the box as well. So he's always up for that. What about you? Do you think that that this is a, a more important game than maybe a lot of Villa fans like to believe? I think so, but solely just because of the, of the fact that you know. It, if you don't want to lose two games on the bounce, you, you start sliding. Then it's exactly the same as winning. You 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 breed a winning mentality, and and you, you the more that you win games, the, the more that you want to win games moving forwards, and the more that you're likely to win games moving forwards. It's exactly the same when you're losing. Lose against Leeds and lose against Southampton, two teams that you, you could very easily get points from, whether that's one or three, and. You know, then the games that are are, are easier that you know against the, the Brightons and the, the West Bromwich Albions become tougher because the mentality's gone. I completely agree. And another big thing about this game that uh, I know people know it because the fixture list is obviously out. But man, I want this team to pick up three points before they face Arsenal, and then I want them to go to Arsenal with all all the confidence of hey, we we went through a, a little bit of a skid against Leeds, we brought it back home against Southampton. Now we're gonna go we're gonna go up against Arsenal. We're gonna show them what we're about. They're in the media all over the place. Our you know our our Ted is talking about things. You got Mesedozil that's in the media like crazy. You know that that weighs on a football club. Even a club that, that as big as Arsenal is, um, so yeah, I want these three points against Southampton, and I think Villa will have a response game. But like I said, you're going to know within the first 20 minutes, I think, if, if Villa are up for the fight and if these players are like, "Hey, that that was embarrassing, boys. Let's get it together here." And I think that's what you're going to see from Villa against Saints. Now here's here's something for the fantasy Premier League players out there. I, I'm one myself, and he's in. He's actually in my squad, and it's Kyle Walker Peters. He's been involved in every Premier League game for the Saints so far this season, and has picked up three yellow cards during that time. He'll be tasked with keeping Jack Grealish at bay. He'll be low, likely to be quite motivated after the Leeds defeat. 
But at the same time, Walker Peters is is great going forward, and he's picked up a number of assists this season as well. Um, you know, it, it's a tough one because we're going to need to balance the attacking intent from Grealish and potentially getting him booked and 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 perhaps you know sent off for an early bath. But we've got to have that Grealish tracking back to to stop Walker Peters because he, when he's moving forward, he's he's certainly. He's certainly someone to be afraid of, and uh, you know I mentioned the fancy Premier League because, like me, I'm I'm debating whether to put him in my team or not, um, or into my starting eleven or not because he can pop up with those assists. But at the same time, I am scared that he's going to get sent off against against Jack. Yeah, it's it, it's a nightmare for the fantasy guys this week when it comes to Walker Peters. You're definitely not the only person I know that has him, you know, in their starting eleven or at least on their bench. Um, I don't know. I think. I think Jackie's going to be a little uh he's going to be a little upset and what how he harnesses that those feelings of being upset it, it probably motivate him I would think. Um but yeah, I, I would not want to be the right back going up against Jack Grealish coming off the left-hand Villa side um a, after that defeat to Leeds. Jack he he just looked beside himself walking off that pitch against Leeds and I I don't blame him but I just I don't know Regan that that's a tough call for you brother I wish I had better words for you but you know I I am for for my heart I'm I'm hoping that Walker Peters gets a early booking for a nasty challenge on Grealish Jack jumps right back up gets gets the spring just jumps right back up to his feet and maybe maybe a sending off before halftime I'm not making any wild predictions like that's going to happen but like I'd prefer for that to happen than Walker Peters have have two assists on two Danny Ings goals yeah I agree um, something that came came out this week is is about uh, the average ages in the, in the Premier League, and you know Villa are blessed with a good number of young and promising talents up and down their their starting eleven and and their subs bench. Villa are on an average the youngest team in the Premier League, and with four wins from five going into Southampton, it's a very positive sign for a team who struggled a lot last season. The age of the Villa squad is very easy to forget. You know, mistakes will happen, lessons will be learned, and individual form will naturally ebb and flow. But I feel like we're approaching a squad that doesn't need to be heavily improved year on year. You know, these players are growing together. They're 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 growing both physically in in age, in in mentality, in in how they play together. Um, and you know, Villa's ownership is obviously certainly on board with financially helping the club in any way they can. But I feel like you know, two years time, there's going to be a time when we're making maybe like one or two signings or just replacing outgoings, and we don't need the the, the big money signings, perhaps. No, I think you're you're right on the nose there, and I think a lot of people don't think about this because it does seem like it's really far away in the future. But for me, it's really not. Um, there's going to be a time where you're going to want this team to gel naturally, and that means keeping them together, keeping them happy, making sure they're growing as players, making sure they're growing as people. Um, that that's how sporting clubs gain success. Um, it's 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 a little more of a rocky road in the Premier League because. Some ownerships are, you know, you get a change of coach and it's a mix and match. And all of a sudden you see like what happens at Manchester United where you have three or four different coaches, players all trying to gel together and all that kind of thing. It ends up being like a a little bit of a little bit of a sad time. But for the most part, in Villa's case, I think that we're 
I, I don't think we're very far away at all from not having to make big money signings and not having to splash cash all over the place. You want the, these players to grow. Do we need a left back with Neil Taylor probably out the door pretty soon? Yeah, we probably need a left back. We might even need two on the right back for Elmo leaving. I mean, yeah, we have Kane Kessler. He can he can probably step in. It's probably about that time. It's probably about a make or break time for him in the next one to two seasons. Um, and also with Freddie Gobert, we don't know what's going on with him. And then you talk about Douglas Luiz or what's going to happen with Douglas Luiz. Is that going to be Villa's last massive money spend is to get city to you know be like hey listen he's our player now sign a check you can put just a blank check here you go whatever you want we'll pay it for douglas louise we want him in that in that midfield area he means a lot to our team i think villa will try to do that i don't know if it'll come off you know it left the crystal ball you know somewhere else but um I just think that we're going to get to a point where these players have to gel together. They have to be together. And it's it's not going to be a thing of, oh, well, we weren't very good in this area of the pitch. So let's go out and buy somebody for that area of the pitch. I think it's going to be something like, okay, you have to learn from this, this experience. You have to grow. That's just it's, it's a whole loving of trust, basically, of just trusting each other and wanting to fight for each other, wanting to play for each other, wanting to play well for each other. And I, I think that's the road that Aston Villa is going down. I, I just think it's it's not a popular thing to talk about right now because, you know, pretty much just in the early stages of the season and we just had a transfer window I don't think Villa's gonna go crazy in January and I, I like I said other than like a left back maybe a backup right back and tying down Dougie Louise I don't think there's much money to, to, that we need to be spending and I think you know the the more that players grow together it means that you have more money to spend on singular improvements going forward you know this season yeah we needed players in the positions that we we, we bought in um but you know cash is young emmy's relatively young for a goalkeeper uh we've got concert and mings who can be centre-back partnership for, for years to come um douglas louise jack mcginn trez are all fairly young and they've got years and years to grow together so you know two years three years down the line Instead of thinking, okay, we need a new winger. Let's play. Let's let's spend fifteen million on him. We can turn around and say, winger's the only place that we need to fix. So let's spend forty million on a winger. Let's bring in the next big wing talent. And, and it, it's things like that 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 help with the the, the kind of the the way that we're going around about our transfer business. You know, we want players that that can improve, that can increase their sell-on value, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to be selling them. It just means that they're going to be improving heavily as years and years pass. Yeah, you don't you don't have to sell them. I mean, just because they're. I mean, you you get a player that that's getting nailed on game time and is happy there, and they're they're acclimated to the life in the Premier League and and the life wherever you know the club is this isn't even just specific to Villa this is this is just football in general you know if if they're happy they're happy they're going to stay there if they want to you know broaden the horizons and go somewhere else they're going to want to go somewhere else I mean it's it's a flip of a coin really Um, I just noticed that I left Ross Barkley off of that of players to buy Um, I think Villa are going to try to sneak a cheeky bit into Ross Barkley um, some point in time. I don't know if it'll be in January or not, but I wouldn't be upset to bring Ross in, even though he's a little bit older than what, what we naturally have in the squad. Um, but yeah, man, I, I don't know. I just don't think it's, I don't think it's going to be as chop and change through the next few seasons as, as we've seen. I mean, we had to do it last year. We, we've talked about that until we were blue in the face. Why Villa had to spend money, you know, going into last year and now why we spent money again to solidify the squad. But, you know, if I'm the owners of Aston Villa, I'm looking at the, the players that I'm bringing in. I'm making sure that they have a little bit of a longevity at the club as well. It's not just that, oh, we need this player for 
two years and then we need this player for one year and things like that like no one's happy about the loan how how the agreement is for Dougie Louise and but you know they love him as a player like I said I think I think that's that's pretty much where you, where you spend the money you try to get Louise nailed down you try to solidify your left back maybe even your right back positions and then I don't know what they're gonna do by Ross Barkley man because I think if he keeps playing like he has barring maybe the second half of the Leeds game uh, I think Chelsea's gonna ask for for a pretty pretty penny for him yeah, I think they will too. I, I just want to take a couple of minutes to just talk about a local rival, and that's West Brom. They're going through a patch of drama at the Hawthorns uh, at the moment. As it, it's been leaked that Ahmed Hagazi was basically sold behind Slavin Bilic's back. You know, after Bilic had received assurances from the West Brom board, he was sold to Al Itihad of the Saudi Pro League. And Hagazi was a massive player in terms of West Brom's promotion. Um, you know, he's been at the club since they were initially relegated to the Championship, and Bilic is not happy about it at all. Their form isn't great, and without being too condescending are you, are you kind of glad that these problems aren't happening at Villa right now we're, we're a bit too used to these kind of problems no I'm I'm really happy about it and I'm not saying I'm happy for West Brom's dismay I'm saying that I'm happy that these kind of problems aren't happening at Aston Villa it seems like the board and the coaching staff all the way down to the physios are pretty much on the same page I think that everyone's just on the same page they want to get this team back to a concrete stable Premier League team um I would be so upset if I was if I was Slavin Bilic man if you if you know you just got promoted and one of the biggest things about being promoted and we saw it last year being Villa supporters is keeping balls out of the back of the net um that was almost our downfall we almost went right back into the championship because we couldn't do that and now you're going to sell in my opinion the be- the best defender they probably have um at West Brom and they're, they're just going to ship him away um behind the head coach's back it's just a very strange move I'd be very upset if I was Billich I would I'd probably be marching into the into the uh boardroom and just having a seat and you know, very, very calmly, but very sternly saying like, okay, so, so what exactly am I doing here now? What, what's your guys' plan? Since you seem to know so much about what's going on with the team players that I have, what's the plan going forward so we don't go immediately back down to the championship? I mean, would, would you be upset? I mean, how do you even approach that as a head coach? That, that just seems, this seems so like crazy to me. Well, he, he, it's it's been like with with the leak and the news coverage. It's been said that Bilic is considering his future at the club, um, and I, I think the thing for me is that it, you know if you were playing this on Football Manager, if you were if you were this manager, your goal for the season would to be fight bravely against relegation. I think West Brom have resigned to the fact, especially at a board level, that they can't pump as much money in as needed to to keep themselves in the league. Um, and they don't want to break up what is a very a very good squad, especially at a championship level, um, like Fulham have done. And you know, Fulham have signed um, massive amounts of players two times now, and it's 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 not worked either time. Um, and West Brom wanted to avoid that, um, but I think they were resigned to the fact that it was going to be very very tough, a very big ask to to stay in the Prem this season. Yeah, I just I don't know. I'd be I'd be really upset if I was a head coach fighting for, you know, fighting for my life with guys that, you know, probably don't have the quality. And it's not a knock on West Brom. Like no matter how I how I say this, it's going to seem like I'm being condescending. I really I'm really not trying to be. But like they they're not slated to stay in the league to start with. 
Um, we all knew that it was going to be a little bit tough for him. And then you have the board that's starting to sell players behind a manager's back who has an idea of how he could possibly, even the slightest bit, if, if 10% of his heart says that they can stay in the league, you got to trust that manager and just let, let the man get on with his job. Um, you know, I, I'd, I'd be livid, man. And that's just my personality type. You'd start doing next kind of things behind my back. What else are you going to do? Like when, when's the next one coming around the corner? And that's how I'd feel. So when, once you kind of break that trust between the manager and the board, it's usually not too long before that manager finds himself either out of a job or just up and up and quit. So, um, I, I don't know. That, that's a tough one because I, I know some Baggies fans, man, and they're, they're good people and they're as passionate football supporters as you're going to find. But this is this is not a good look for West Bromish Albion. Not not what not not at all. Absolutely. Now, before we end this week's podcasts, I want to keep it short and simple as usual. What's your score prediction for the Southampton game? I'm going to know the Villa. Okay, I'm going to go for a one-all draw. I think we're going to pick up our first draw of the season. I love that. I, don't, I, I would not be upset with the draw. especially Like I said, especially going into Arsenal. Get, get something, go to Arsenal and give them a game. Absolutely. And that is where we're going to end this week's podcast. If you have enjoyed it, please do leave us a review on social media or or on whatever platform you're listening on. You know, the, the, the podcast is obviously available wherever you are listening, but you can listen to it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, places like that. Please do leave us a review if you are listening on one of those platforms. You can follow us on social media on Twitter at Villa Lamp, on Facebook forward slash under a gaslit lamp and on instagram where we're posting stuff very regularly at the moment at under a gaslit lamp and as always you can keep up to date with all our latest opinion news analysis and more for aston villa and aston villa women and the youth sides on www.underagaslitlamp.com thanks for listening guys and up the villa